We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 13. A lot of bye weeks. It's almost the fantasy football playoffs. A lot to get to here. Start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for NFL Week 13. I'm your host, John McKechnie. That is Mario Puig. Mario, we're on to Week 13. A lot of teams are on by. A lot of important teams are on by as well. So that sets up for some tough lineup decisions for a lot of fantasy managers to be making for this week. Basically, when I finished up best ball season, all my drafts, I knew that week 13 was going to be a, a sticky one um, because, it, again, it's close to, to the playoff time. And I know that I had a lot of exposure to Bills, Ravens, uh, Vikings. So this is a this is going to be a hairy one. Yeah. Uh, were we down the Colt? No, the Colts are still. Good. I was like, I also took a lot of Jonathan Taylor. So I assume uh, if he hadn't been hurt, he'd, he'd be on by this week anyway. Um but yeah, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot a lot of uh, parts this week that you know you didn't have to wade into last week. Yep. So we, we're gonna we're gonna sort it out for y'all. Um, we're gonna start things out with the Thursday night football game. We've got the Dallas Cowboys playing host to the Seattle Seahawks. The Cowboys eight and a half point favorites in this one against the Seahawks. We all know that the Cowboys have been rocking out really of, of late it's been an impressive run from them they've been nails at home in particular and so that um you know we, we've got what Deron bland running back all the all the inter- uh pick sixes in the world in seattle i think for their part oh boy I, it's starting to starting to crumble a little bit the the uh the foundation so i'm i wouldn't be surprised if they're in the market for a new quarterback this time or uh, not this time next year but but for next season, can the can the Seahawks even keep this moderately respectable? They're on. This is one of the few occasions where the schedule makers have made both Thursday night football teams on equal rest. Yeah, uh, it's it just seems like there's too many key injuries with the Seahawks for them to be the team that they, you know, envisioned when they were making the moves that they did this offseason when they were building the team the way they did. Uh, it's it's a lot uh, to deal with, especially when you have to deal with this Dallas defense. 
So uh, I don't know how much this might change over the you know the last uh, month with Abe uh, Lucas getting back from injury, but largely the story with the Seahawks in the games they've struggled this year, the story's largely been they're not able to pass block, and I, I would wonder too if maybe the run blocking has suffered a little bit. Uh, both tackles missed a lot of time, uh, Lucas more than Cross, and then the the guard Damian Lewis was missing a bunch of time too. So uh, that stuff. I think, uh, particularly in the games where the Seahawks had difficult matchups, which last week definitely was, um, it was it's a bad enough setup even before you get to the elbow injury that Geno's dealing with. So uh, those those complications made the Seahawks pretty uh, harmless looking against the 49ers. And I'm, for their sake, worried that, you know, the Dallas game is going to have maybe a similar sort of outcome where it's just you know, th- this was a this was looking like a buzzsaw matchup for you anyway. And then when you throw in the, the additional difficulties, it just isn't really it, it's it's not like a seriously competitive game. So, no, I, I don't see it as as a competitive game. I mean, th- when they opened uh, the line for this one all the way back in, in May, Cowboys three and a half point favorites. Uh, now we're looking at nine and a half. Um, and I think that that's pretty accurate depiction on on the direction that, that both teams have gone in um, your thoughts on Zach Charbonnet for, for tonight, because it, you know, it doesn't look great for Kenneth Walker, but again, a very tough matchup. So I, I fear similar results to, to last week against San Francisco. Right. It was a difficult situation last week and this week, nothing obviously better about it. Uh, I, I do wonder if there's a chance given how many routes he's being left with as a pass passing down back and how many targets he's been getting. Maybe Charbonnet one of these days is going to look into an actually viable set of targets. Like a lot of these targets are just kind of, you know, the play falling apart and the ball just getting dumped off to somebody uh, before the quarterback, before the quarterback gets taken down. So uh, Charbonnet, I don't think is getting like a fair shot with these targets basically to this point. Like if someone were to look at his targets, the, the lack of yardage returns with them and, and speculate, oh, he's doing a bad job as a pass catcher. I don't really see that. Uh, I see it as, you know, structural uh, limitations of the team holding him into that kind of area. And uh, even so, the problem here is why would any of that change for the better? It's just uh, at best, it would have to wait for another week, it seems like to me. I mean, for the, for the Seahawks to make this a competitive game, they just have to make it a really low scoring game, I think. Yeah, they, they can't keep up in a track meet, I don't think. Um, the, the pass rush too lively for, for Dallas. Um, so somehow they're, they're going to need Dak Prescott to turn into the Dak of last year where he's turning the ball over too much. Um, but I don't see that, any signs of Dak slowing down. I've seen him start to enter the, the MVP conversation. And then, um, you know, I don't, I don't really find that Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes are playing at such a level where they are locks. To win it so I feel like if Prescott continues this the rest of the way and, and if the Cowboys are able to somehow steal the NFC East that that's looking less less and less likely by the week but if they're able to to really you know manage this gauntlet and Dak plays at this level like I I wouldn't hate the idea of him being in, in, in the MVP conversation at the very least I totally agree I mean it's uh it's amazing how uh, far he's come since that really bad 49ers game. Admittedly, a lot of these are easier matchups. You know, Washington's a pushover. The 
the Giants, uh, the few parts of their defense that are functional were kind of just like swept away in the, you know, the tide of everything else going on in that game. Uh, the Eagles defense is not uh, in the secondary anyway, is not nearly what it has been in the, the last couple of years. So uh, on the one hand, I, I do think Dak kind of needed to get rolling here, but it's it's been kind of uh, a laugher. You know, even even that Carolina game where his numbers didn't look that good. I think he was kind of uh, doing better, you know, than the numbers looked in that one, too. So he I think it's uh, on the one hand, like the biggest test he's seen in at least a month with this Seattle defense. There's it's a weird defense, but there's there's some firepower there. They've, they've got some players at all levels that can do some things of, of whatever sort. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be like. I will say, actually, Dak needs to be a little careful here because a guy like, you know, Witherspoon is obviously looking to jump routes and they, they got some pass rushers. And Dak, I think, will always be a little bit turnover prone-ish, you know, just just slightly more than average uh, because in large part he does take those risks. But, yeah, the, the Seahawks will the, – the danger in the Seahawks is that they're just not going to quit, you know. They're not going to come out and be like – sad for themselves and, and mopey about how they're overmatched like they're, they're just never going to play that way and you know, for that reason Dak just needs to make sure not to turn it over too much yep that that will be the key tonight but if he plays the way that he has been and not turning it over i think that dallas wins this one yeah going away and, and we're we're surprised at the end of it that the line was only nine points um let's get on over to sunday we've got the chargers and the patriots Ugh. Ugh. What do we do about this one? I believe, believe the Patriots just lost to Tommy DeVito and the Chargers can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been quite a ride with the, the Patriots offense, obviously, and going back a couple of years now with the whole Mac Jones thing. Uh, it's It's pretty crazy how kind of damaged he must be at this point. I, I do think you you can at once be a general Mac Jones critic and also concede like, yeah, he's just, he's kind of um, shook and, and, you know, he's, he's not functioning basically at this point. Uh, he, he's, he's just glitching on things that he normally didn't struggle with in the past. And it's just, uh, I think dealing with so many snaps of, of the defense kind of teeing off against you, your offensive line, a combination of bad or, and injured, your receivers, a combination of really, really bad and or injured, and specifically the complete lack of speed in that offense at a time when the, the offense of offensive line couldn't block at all in the passing game. It's like that's just that's just like it's it's truly just being just tossed to the defense, you know, and I, I think it's kind of um rattled his brain and he can't play the way he used to basically so um they kind of almost needed to bench mac jones for his own safety you know before he gets like a permanent case of the yips and maybe it's already too late for all i know but one thing that's not gonna help is uh switching quarterbacks like uh, not for the results anyway it helps you know it gives mac jones that uh shelter that he really badly needs right now but the yeah patriots just cannot uh play nfl football right now it's just even the defense as far as what they could have had going there they no longer can just too many injuries too many really brutal injuries so the chargers are are a joke of a team but man if if they lost this one i'd be pretty shocked i i think so too but where are you at five and a half points in foxborough that the chargers (laughs) would have to cover yeah uh at the very least they 
they would the, the the Patriots would need to kind of um I think keep the game under something like 30 total points, which it could happen. It is as simple, I think, as if you if you keep Keenan Allen under 80 yards, you're keeping Herbert under 200. But I don't know. I just I think the, the Patriots don't really have the personnel to deal with Allen, certainly not at corner. I know I know Duggar is such a big part of their tight end coverage. I know he's not a, you know, a, he's not that often like one on one specifically. So um but though with that said, like guys like Miles Bryant against Keenan Allen is such a laugher. I, I I can hardly think of that many, you know, maybe like five corners in the league who Keenan Allen would have an easier time against than Miles Bryant. And uh the Patriots kind of have to keep rolling him. I, I guess they could put Jonathan Jones in the slot on Keenan Allen, but then Keenan Allen just, you know, probably bullies him because he's so much bigger. So I, I think the the Chargers should be okay. It's just gonna it's gonna be one of those games where it's, you know the team that won won because the team that lost was so bad. And you can tell it's like, these guys aren't really dictating the game. They're not really like, they're not playing so well that they're, they're dictating the course of the game. It's just, it's an open net. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> uh, I think on the, on the, on the Keenan Allen detail, you know, obviously watched him pretty closely last Sunday night in particular, he was automatic, like completely. I think he was like 13 out of 15 Crazy. on his targets. Like, or how they were just, gunning for him, too. It was, they yeah. did not miss any of those 14 yeah. targets. It's so crazy. So Yeah, so he he's automatic. And like you said, he gets an even softer matchup this week. Uh, we'll see if the if the Chargers even you know entertain the idea of widening the, the target distribution a little bit. But, you know, that, that seems like if it ain't broke don't fix it type of dealio with also they can't Ian fix Allen it right so now. no it don't it, they can't fix it so if it if it's not broke don't fix it true but when you can't fix it stop screwing it up and making it worse also even if it is broke yeah because otherwise um the the other options uh not overly appealing what do you make of Austin Eckler right now i don't know the the most recent status of him but the two weeks ago that game he was clearly not healthy he was clearly running like a four seven he he was he was running like uh elijah holyfield 40 at 190 pounds which is not good uh you, no, you, you want to be fast wanna do that. If, if you're gonna be that slow you better be a tank and uh eckler's game of course is not power it's it never has been it's always been about the burst uh you know the the, the hard running the the jukes but um he can't really do that, he, especially because they're they just have some brutal matchups in the run game. I think um, so. What is usually the case with the Chargers is that no one's running the ball because it's almost impossible to. Uh, it's just it's the offense isn't built well enough to do it. Um, the question is like, is there pass catching production available against the Ravens? That's a tough matchup. They didn't leave a whole lot there. You know the games. More like the uh, the Bears, you know, seven catches for ninety four yards on a touchdown. That's that's kind of the Eckler you thought you were buying in the first round the last couple of years. Um, even if even if it came with like a decline in rushing production, but with the problem right now, I think is we're getting a lot of cases where the run game is denied for whatever reason, structural or matchup reason. It's not there, and then also the pass catching isn't there in large part because the offense is just too. Uh, it's too usage uh, predictable. Like it's, it's, it's always just going to be, especially after the Mike Williams injury, you always knew it's just, it's Keenan Allen and it's Austin Eckler as it, in a lot of ways. It's like, I don't think defenses could scheme more against Austin Eckler right now than they 
it, it, like if they tried to scheme more against him, it would be impossible. Like they, they have so much surplus resources laying around because it's like most offenses you have to go back and as a defensive coordinator and think like, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to deal with these three or four guys? How are we going to account for the threat of like the off tackle run after we deal with all of that? And then against the charges, it's just where's Allen, where's Eckler play ball. That's it. That's all you really need. Yeah. They, they, uh, yeah, the, the lack of depth, um, the lack of development for, from Quentin Johnston, the, you know, obviously Mike Williams injury, it has thrown that, thrown that offense into just a, a level of predictability and easiness to, to scheme against. That's uh, almost impressive, but they, they almost, they still almost won uh, on Sunday night somehow, but um, I, I think they'll be Alex able to take their business in this spot. They always do this. It's always got to be Alex Erickson or Jason Moore or Michael Bandy. They can't go get like, there's got to be someone who was like an all conference mention, uh, an, an all, uh, what do you call it? Honorable mention, all conference pick at their college level. And it's like, they always, they always go signing these guys who are just like the lowest of the low prospects. It's crazy. Yep. It's like, Hey, can we interest you in a lightly used uh, stone smart? Who was bad four years ago? Alex Erickson. That's who I was thinking of. Go sign him. Yeah, that's great. Bring him on. All right, before we get on to our next Samuel message from our friends over at Circa, get ready for the ultimate big game parties at Circa Resort and Casino. Super Sunday is in Las Vegas this year. Watch the big game poolside at, at Stadium Swim's big game viewing party. Massive screen, booming game sound, and a view of the pyrotechnic and visual effects throughout the game. Snag the best seat in the sun with daybeds, poolside boxes, cabanas, and more. Or touchdown at the world's largest sports book. Circus Sports for the Big Game Bash. Three stories of football glory featuring a 78 million pixel screen. Book your seat with a variety of reservation options, including bottle service, open bars, stadium-style food, and more. Don't miss the legendary viewing experiences on February 11th. The Big Game parties only at Circa Resort and Casino. Reserve today at CircaLasVegas.com. We also got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. This Rotowire podcast is brought to you by my favorite meal kit, Factor. I gave Factor a try, and I can tell you firsthand, eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every meal arrives fresh, not frozen, and they're chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. Every week, you'll have over 35 different options to choose from, and there's something for every diet, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after those wellness goals. One of my favorite things about Factor, it's the convenience. We're talking meals that are good to go in two minutes or less. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. There's no prep, there's no mess, no cooking, no cleanup, none of that. It's perfect if you have a busy lifestyle and you can't dedicate an hour plus each day to preparing lunch or preparing dinner. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Factor also offers options for every meal. Pancakes, smoothies, you name it. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, dinner, whatever you need, Factor has it. Factor is also tailored to your schedule, so you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals each week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. We've done the math. We've run the numbers over here. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be both nutritious and delicious. Head over to factormeals.com slash rotowire50 and use the code rotowire50. 
That'll get you 50% off your order. That's code ROTOWIRE50 at factormeals.com slash ROTOWIRE50 to get 50% off today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay. All right. Let's move on. We do have a question about one Tim Boyle, Mario. <laughs> and well, what is the, uh, with, with all of the bye weeks this week, is he potentially on the radar in two QB leagues? Oh, my God. They this are is, playing uh... the Falcons. Okay. Uh, well, I don't even know what I think about the Falcons defense. They're. They're not. Yeah, they have like a couple good players, and then then they're not really obviously terrible at most levels. They just they just kind of aren't good either. Let's see. So 179 yard, nine point four fantasy points. Uh, da, 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 da. Hmm. I don't know, man. I uh. So did that thing say two quarterback or super flex? I guess if it's if it's like two uh, quarterback, I guess you kind of just have to play two quarterbacks sometimes. Yeah, whatever, super so. flex. Super flex. I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do it. You'd have to be, I think, choosing between some really poor uh, skill position players because I, I don't know if I can trust Tim Boyle to get to 10. I don't know if I can trust him to start the second half of that game. You know, like they have, they have Trevor Simeon there, who's also incredibly bad, but also clearly better than Boyle. So if if they don't have Simeon ready to go, I think it's just because it's like they're trying to get him up to speed. I almost wonder, like, are they are they at this point kind of thinking, like, we got to get Simeon ready to go because Boyle's just going to make us all, you know, too depressed to show up for work the next day. Um, I don't know, man. I, I can't – I don't think I can say start Boyle. I don't think I can do it. Okay, let's not. And he does, for the record, fall outside of our top 24 in, uh, in quarterback rankings for this week. So, you know, our – wash our hands of it like he's he's outside of our starting range we said as much in in 12 uh teams tim boyle don't make me look like an idiot on this one please please be who you are who you've always been stay stay true to yourself timmy it's all gonna work out um let's let's move on to that game in fact falcons jets falcons two and a half point favorites on the road at the meadowlands hoping for no injuries in this one. That field seems like it's among the most cursed uh, that we've seen. But beyond that, um, your your thoughts on the Falcons' performance last week, coming off of their bye, beaten up pretty good, I thought, on on the Saints and what what it might mean this week for for their uh, trip up to New York. Well, this is a dangerous spot for the Falcons, just because anytime they go against a defense this dangerous, like the kind of defense that will 
make turnovers happen and won't give you anything in the ground game. Uh, they, they're the kind of defense that I, I don't know if you can hide Ritter. And even if you did, mm-hmm. the Jets have enough run stopping capacity that they can kind of, um, you know, turn, turn the, the B John and Algier thing to, uh, you know, less than 60 yards on the ground or something like that. And if you have the ball anyway, while running so little as that, and then Ritter is the quarterback, you're at some point necessarily going to start throwing the ball with like third and 10 or more. And against this defense, I, I just, yeah, I think Ritter's of a, of a level of vulnerability where you can't hide him unless you're just kind of not even trying to move the ball. And I don't think the Falcons are going to do that. So uh, as much as the, the Jets quarterback is clearly worse, like a lot worse than Ritter. I know I just said Ritter's not very good. Boyle is so much worse than Ritter, but I, I still have to say that the Jets defense is almost like a bigger threat to score than either offense in this game. And if if they if they're on you know one of their tears, uh, yeah that that's that's how I guess the the Jets could could get a win there. But it, if it's if it comes down to you know throwing for more yardage than the other team or something, then yeah that's a challenge that the Jets almost regardless of who they're playing, regardless how bad the defense is. Uh, it's almost, it's almost just impossible. They need the defense and the run game to do it. Yeah. That that's, yeah, that's been the case for, for them all year. I just, I start to wonder if that defense is just tired of it. It, at, it at could be. I don't have a good sense on if defenses sometimes get gassed over the course of the year. I feel like they generally, reset after a given game with the ex- with ex- uh, exceptions of like you know they played 95 snaps on Sunday and now they got a Thursday game like that would be a case where like okay those guys are going to be gassed still but if if they're not if they're not like injured and they're not um getting gassed in the game in question I feel like the Jets they've, they've kind of got that culture by now where they're always gonna even when they're not go even when the, uh, things aren't going well like they're gonna be so pissed off they'll they'll just kind of always be difficult to play against yeah and that's i mean that's been true the defense still is playing hard for for sure but i wonder about the the human level tipping point but maybe maybe that's the wrong application of that and you know that they'll keep playing hard no matter uh how bad the the record uh seems like they'll get mad at tim boyle They'll, they'll curse tim boyle but then they'll go punch a guy on offense on the other team about it you know yeah, exactly. So well said there. Um, what did you make of Drake London's performance last week? And, it, you know, is he someone that uh, is a good or a bad matchup going up against someone like Sauce Gardner? Uh, that, that's tough for me to answer because I'm I'm a lot higher on Drake London than most people, even though I, I understand perfectly well that most people are, are some version of quite high on London. I think he's like a f- clear all pro receiver waiting to happen. Even if the numbers aren't obvious right now, I I have zero doubt about that at all. So at some point in time, I expect London to be able to beat pretty much any corner in the league sauce Gardner included. And uh, part of the problem here too, is I think Gardner's maybe a little overrated. I, I think he's a really good like cover three corner, but I think uh, the category of cornerback that can play one-on-one against London in man coverage is, is one too exclusive to have room for Gardner, in my opinion. What makes Gardner tough to beat, and even DJ Reed tough to beat, is the you don't get to just get a 
crack at them one-on-one, right? You're, 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 as a receiver going against the Jets, you have to beat that whole defense because they, they really do work in concert and they work, mm-hmm. um, they, they work with principles more complicated than just like line up and beat the guy ahead of you. So between the pass rush, between the varying coverages, you know, the safeties getting involved. Uh, I think it's, I think it's just tough for a quarterback like Ritter to throw the ball on a defense like that, almost no matter who he has at receiver. Uh, so I, I I, uh, I think London can probably beat Gardner. I just don't know if he's going to get targets that he can actually work with. I, I worry that it's going to maybe look a little bit like the guy on the other side, Garrett Wilson, you know, dusting people every week and the ball's just, it's not even in frame. They have to pan out. Yeah. I, it's funny how Garrett Wilson, I would characterize this year as being like a lunch pail fantasy asset. Like it, he's someone that, you know, you drafted to be a total stud, someone that, that is, uh, someone that maybe takes your your team over the top. It's more just like, boy, that was a hard earned twelve points. Good for you, man. Thank you. Yeah, he gets uh, one point per target, basically. Yeah, it's uh, mm. yeah, it's been it's been tough for him. Obviously, you're still starting him, and uh, you're probably still starting London, even if the if it's a tough matchup. I think he's you know high end wide receiver three type of guy for yeah. for, for this week. Um, let's keep rolling here. We've got, uh, the, uh, Lions and the Saints coming up. Uh, we've got the Saints four and a half point dogs at home. Is something wrong with the Lions? Maybe you've been, you've been kind of squatting on this one for, for a little bit as to, as to whether they were actually as good as some, some of their biggest hype men said they were. Well, I thought that the Lions were a little overrated. And certainly Jared Goff, I think it's so annoying, man. Like half of the year, every year we have a pretty sensible Jared Goff opinion, you know, in, in the world, in the, the fantasy media scene, football media scene. But then he'll have his like four good games a year. And each time he does, we have to hear from these people who are like, oh, he's see, he's he's a top five quarterback. We've said so. We said so for years. We said that the staff was a bad idea. We knew the Stafford trade was bad for the for the Rams and good for the Lions. We, we this proves it. Like he is never going to be a quarterback who carries an offense, which is fine. It's not even how the Lions are built. They don't need that kind of quarterback to to be the kind of team that they they're trying to be. Um, but as we've also seen, uh, Goff is just bad enough that even when everything is kind of in his favor, and even when he's going against weak defenses at home he can kind of still screw it up a little bit. And they, they were lucky to get the win against the bears. Uh, they were, you know, they, they weren't awful exactly against the Packers, but like Goff needs to play better in that game because the lions pass defense isn't very good, especially by like pa- uh, playoff standards. So we knew those, those Detroit corners couldn't really cover, uh, you know, against size speed. The Packers had that love for whatever reason was playing pretty well, and uh, Goff just kind of dug a you know deep hole early in the game, and I guess he almost got brought them back. But I don't know that when the when they're those almost comebacks like that where you you need more than a field goal but you can't get it. I don't know. Uh, I, I think it might have been just the the defense playing bend but don't break and and trying harder not to break at one particular point. You know the the last one mm-hmm. basically. So Goff really did. 
like there's signal to the way that golf failed the last two weeks and, and the effect that the way that it dragged down the lions, that's an ongoing concern, but I don't think that he, I don't think that he's likely to, to just like fall off a cliff. Now. I think it was even as a golf critic, I have to admit he was kind of, he'll do better the next time around in the same scenario. You know, he's not going to, he's not going to struggle this bad against the bears and Packers at home the next time you do it. Um, so the saints by contrast, I think are just complete frauds and it's, it's not the players' fault. Derek Carr aside, it is Derek Carr's fault as far as players go. Uh, but the coaches, the front office, the people who are in charge there, they've, they've totally screwed it up. They've made it a rotten, uh, it's it's like they're, they're as a team they're just like insolvent. It's crazy the the cap situation that they're in and how much money they owe Derek Carr that they can't get out of. And it's as simple as almost all the time if Derek Carr is the quarterback, this offense is not going to be able to run, and the defense is getting kind of hanged out to dry. So I do think the Saints have a lot of talent, maybe even more than the Lions have, but the lions are clearly the better team. And I, if, if, um, if this is even a close game, I'd be surprised. I feel like the lions should kind of, uh, in the second half anyway, at least pull away in this one. I don't know why, but I, I, I have an unwavering faith in the, in the saints for, for, I, again, I don't know why. And I also feel like the lions, the lions could lose this one. I don't know. I, I feel like that. I don't trust them on the road quite as much and they've again like to your point they've been uh you know bad at home over these last couple of weeks and so now they got to take their show on the road they they you know this is a, a huge spot for them like if they slip up here um all of a sudden with the way that the Packers have been playing of late maybe that the uh the cakewalk to the NFC North crown uh, gets a little bit dicier they are four and one against the spread on the road this year however so Maybe you are right and well founded, and the Saints are just that rotted to where the the Lions can get it done. But I'm still still a little bit skeptical on on the Lions uh, overall uh, going forward with with this nucleus. Um, let's move on over. We got Cardinals, Steelers. We got the Steelers five and a half point favorites. Steelers obviously made some headlines last week with the the offense looking better post Matt Canada, but. Was that a function of the the Bengals defense just being on the field all day and also not being that good to begin with? Or was there some sort of like tangible change that was made in that offense that, you know, kind of caught your attention? I noticed that Pat Fryermuth, for example, drawing the 11 targets, catching nine of them, going over 100 yards like that. That was new. Obviously, he's been hurt for a good uh, bit of this year, but even still. Does that start to be more of a staple here? Is that how they get this offense going? It seemed to me that the Fryermuth plays were largely like uncovered post routes off of play action down the middle of the field. And they, they were so open that it was one of those things. It's like whoever was running that would have had those same plays. Uh, however, I do wonder if that that opening being there at all was a result of, of Fryermuth being so inactive to that point. Like maybe, maybe Anna Rumo just kind of overlooked the play threat because you know, the, before that week they were just basically weren't running it. So uh, if, if it was Canada just being kind of negligent in not running that previously. And if, if that is an explanation for part of why Fryermuth had been so unproductive to this point, 
that definitely would be something that reflects poorly on Canada and would be basis for projecting, you know, improvement with Kenny Pickett going forward. The one thing that I don't know is, yeah, you, you were kind of getting at it. Like, is this Bengals defense any good? And they're underachieving. They have some amount of talents. Uh, the, I can't tell for sure, though, how much their underachievement is them, um, you know, truly being bad or whatever or getting beat. But just, you know, one of those things where maybe you have to give more so credit to the other team. So in this case, I don't know how much credit I got to give Kenny Pickett, but it's worth keeping in mind that, uh, yeah, those Friar move targets were largely uncovered. Uh, the good, there were good throws down the sideline that Pickett was making in this game to like Deontay Johnson early on, especially, but that is a play that the Bengals are probably a lot better at covering almost any other week because they were without Cam Taylor Britt, who has been a, a pretty good outside corner for them. And uh, Chidobe Awuzie, we he's still probably not a hundred percent from last year's ACL tear. So they've had this, this rookie DJ Turner from Michigan, who's probably a pretty good prospect. I mean, he's certainly really fast and stuff, but he's been kind of getting beat on in these games that they've had to put him out there. And I, I wonder if, if the Bengals kind of just have a problem right there right now. Like if, if, uh, if basically like they, they have some kind of plan and it's getting kind of screwed up because one of their corners basically isn't ready to play right now. But um, if, if it's not explained by, you know, Turner's struggles or the Bengals just having some other excuse, then yeah, they last week was the first time the Panthers showed any ability. Uh, uh, the Steelers showed any ability to approach like 300 yards passing in a game. It was always like it was always bouncing between like 160 and 210 for that first uh, 12 weeks or 11 weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so something looked different, but yeah, it's it. I think this is a type of matchup that kind of will inform us as to whether that was a Bengals issue or that was actually the start of something for. Uh, the, the Steelers offense getting the Cardinals at home though. I mean, it seems like it sets up pretty well. Cardinals defense is really, really bad. And it's, it's kind of by design, you know, like they, they know they had to rebuild the whole team. They know they can't rebuild every part at once. So they went in knowing that they were, they were kind of doing like a, not tanking exactly like they, they had to go down this route one way or another, but they made the painful choice to to go into this year with just no defensive personnel, hardly. So with the Steelers, their, their offense, I think still being based on the run game, this should be a favorable setup for them because the passing should occur in favorable situations and the run game should be kind of just like red hot. Like, I know, uh, it, it, you know, Kyron Williams has, more than half of his rushing yards this year against just the Cardinals. Yeah. And I think that Harris and Warren, I don't know. They, there's probably going to be a day down the line where they both have a hundred yards in a game. I don't know why it wouldn't be this one. If, if it is ever going to happen. Yeah. I, the Cardinals can't stop this type of run game. I think the Steelers offensive line might be getting a little bit better as it gels over the course of the season. So I can absolutely see that potentially unfolding. Uh, what do you do with, with the likes of Deontay Johnson and George Pickens um, at, at, at this point? Are you, are you still starting them? Or are they still? Yeah. Like mostly. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't think Fryermuth is going to get over 80 yards again this year. Like he doesn't need to, he can, he can do quite well just doing, you know, the, the six or seven catches for 70 or 80 yards kind of thing. Uh, if he has something more along that line and Pickett is still throwing with a similar volume as last week, then Pickens, I think especially has more room carved out to, to do something in that case. But the reason, at least for this week, 
I would have a lot of trouble benching either of Pickens or Johnson because the Cardinals, I know you're we just saying they have probably the worst run defense. They almost definitely have the worst pass defense. So in a large, uh, in a way, it's it's possible that the run defense is so bad uh, to the extent that it is this particularly bad. It might be in part because they're playing kind of off the point of attack a little bit, giving these corners more help downfield. Like if you're the Cardinals and you want to play 10 men in the box, you're giving up a big pass play. Like It's just that it's that automatic. So uh, they have they just they can't they can't even like sell out to stop a part of an offense if they if they want to. You know, if they if they went into this game with their goal being we can't let George Pickens uh, catch five passes, they would be totally helpless at actually dictating that. That yeah, that that is true. Um, yeah, they, they are damned if they do, damned if they don't type of deal um, on the Arizona side. Is Kyler Murray startable in the, in this setup? Going on the road. Hate it. I don't know. Yeah. Doesn't this feel like a bad one for? I also hate the. I know it's it's dictated by injuries. It's not the plan exactly, but the idea of an offense where your three lead receivers average like 162 pounds, and and none of them is five foot nine, is just is just it's one of those. I almost just like faint at the thought of it, and I. I can't, that could just be me, you know, being, uh, whatever, just, just precious or whatever. But I think, I think there's some sort of, if, if it's not actually dangerous or wrong for some reason, then it, then it is like, if it's like a moral wrong, like there's something, there's something just infernal about having three receivers that tiny it's it's like, do they think like, that kyler can only like relate to receivers <laughs> roughly his size it's like that's how he'll be comfortable he, dude if you're if you're taller than him he won't throw to you uh, yeah like yeah, he's so. out <laughs> maybe that is what it is i don't know but yeah i think it, so it, it was because of michael wilson's injury that dorch got on the field it was were it really was not the plan to have these three guys on the field at the same time and Brown is a rental. They know that they know they're letting him walk this off season anyway. So uh, it, it was not the plan at any point to have this outcome occur, but we, again, Dorch is like five, seven, one seventy more is five, seven, one eighty Brown is like five, nine, one sixty or something. I don't know against the Steelers too. That's another part of it. The tiniest receivers of all time against the Steelers. Like one of, one of like kind of like the dirtiest and most, uh, in your face defenses it's it's literally their identity every single any era of the Steelers you look at they have the same aesthetic the same bit and it's it's basically like we hurt the other players who try to you know throw the ball against us and you know I, I think it's telling it it doesn't always say the whole story but I think it, it can be an interesting baseline when when you're making uh, your lineup decisions what a player's given uh, props are. And Kyler Murray's uh, passing yardage prop is 215 and a half. You know who has a higher passing yardage prop? Jake Browning. I wasn't expecting that. I was ready for Kenny Pickett. I wasn't ready for Jake Browning. That's... Yeah, right? So Kenny Pickett's Ugh. slightly less than that. Like the, the I need books to lay are not down. buying. <laughs> Yeah. The books are not buying Pickett. They are. They have him at like one ninety nine and a half. Honestly, uh, I would take I, I would take Pickett to have more passing yards in this game. I'm worried it's going to be one of those times where it's just one of the one of the teams gets just kind of ragdolled, kind of start to finish, 
I, I, I can imagine Murray sitting in like the fourth quarter just because to, just to protect him basically physically. Yeah. It'd be pragmatic. I mean, you just got him back from injury. Let's not have it happen again. And I think, yeah, I, I do very much like the Steelers chances in, in this game to win it uh, going away. Let's head on down to the AFC South. We've got Indianapolis going to Tennessee. Uh, the Titans one and a half point dogs at home. Uh, your thoughts here? Yeah, uh, I I think um, the Titans last week they they were able to um, you know especially with Derrick Henry's two touchdowns that was basically the result of the Panthers not being able to move the ball at all. I understand that Minshew is limited and uh, the Colts don't exactly have deep pass catching threats, but I still just kind of. Maybe maybe this is stupid, but I trust Shane Steichen to come up with good ideas, and I feel like the Titans they they have enough vulnerabilities, especially in the pass defense, that I feel like Steichen can find something that works here, even for Gardner Minshew, even if the the Colts can't play four wide. I just trust him to to find some way. What I can't figure out uh, uh, the other side is like, does Levis have anything really going for him, or is he kind of just uh? just like a stumbling goof who, who who just sort of tags along with the baseline of the rest, the rest of the the Titans team, you know, it's like the, they're shellacking the Falcons. Maybe he's like, he's just getting in on the bonanza. And then last week's like the, the Panthers can't defend themselves. Maybe he's just kind of coasting on that. Uh, I can't tell if this is going to be that much more contested, it, like in the, Maybe in the trenches, it's a little bit more contested, but uh, those Colts outside corners are so busted right now that I don't know if Levis can screw it up, uh, especially because, I mean, Hopkins, especially against these corners, I, I just don't know what the Colts can really do about that. Like, they, the Colts kind of need Levis to really turn into a total goofball here. And I don't know, it feels it feels even as someone who thinks Levis is absolutely a goofball that feels a little hasty to me. So I can't, mm. I can't tell where, where I expect this one to go, but I, I definitely, I am more on the side of the Colts, I guess, just because I, I trust Steichen with Minshew more than I do anybody in particular with Levis, I suppose. Yeah. I, I continue to be hesitant to buy in on this Indianapolis team as a playoff team, but at the same time, like they keep winning. And the rest of the um, sort of like peripheral AFC contenders, you know, your, your Bills, your Jets, now the Bengals, obviously with no Joe Burrow. Um, it's like they're probably going to make the playoffs. Like That's crazy. We're going to have to accept that at some point. Uh, and and yet people are talking about the mediocre play uh, taking over the league. But, uh, yeah, so interesting there. But um, I don't know. Tennessee at home has been – Tough. They're they're like four and one against the spread uh, at at home. So that it's like I don't know if that really you know forebodes anything one way or the other. They're, and they've been you know terrible on the road, of course, too. So it, it, they're two extremes there. I probably still lean Indianapolis here, but um, it, it's tricky. And then beyond that, you know, what are your expectations for for Zach Moss in light of the um, Jonathan Taylor thumb injury? Well, I think it must be the case that Moss was just a really, really, really bad fit for the Bills offense. I don't know how uh, they managed to kind of keep him down the way that they did. They did, But Moss has had enough 
productive games with the Colts going back to last year that even though he was lucky to get the, the last time these teams played, he was lucky to get that whatever 60 yard touchdown or whatever, you know, Moss is not going to be a 40 plus yard carry kind of guy. He's, he's going to get by more on grinding things out, which he's very good at. It, it suits him anyway. So it's fine. Uh, the Titans though, just as like a pretty safe rule will not defend the run as poorly as they did in that game. So right. the matchup's going to be tougher than a person would assume it was based on the, the last results. Like he could, uh, and he will get more attention. You know, it's like they, there's a chance that the Titans kind of just overlooked him in that game. They might've thought like, Oh, he's just that bum from Buffalo. We don't need to worry about him. You know? And it's, it's like wrong. It's, it's Utah Zach Moss again. It's not, it's not Buffalo bill Zach Moss. It's Utah. Uh, Zach Moss and that that guy's good so uh yeah it's 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 um it's a tough setting for Moss but I don't know I think he's at least in this this scheme he's the real deal and uh he's he's had his durability troubles but in terms of frame he's built for volume you know he can take a lot of carries and he can catch passes he can play a lot of snaps uh in the sense that he has the anchor and the density to kind of like get the better of a defense over the course of a game. Like he'll, he can wear a defense with his usage. And in this case, you know, even if the Titans stop him for the first 15 carries, it's like maybe he gets to 21, 22 carries. And it's, it's that last drive or two where he really starts to kind of like chip them, chip them away. So we have him ranked as RB nine for this week. I think that's about right. You know, but when he has the backfield to himself, he's a top 10 running back right now. For fantasy that's just i think that's not not too big of a stretch and especially uh against the titans so i do like his outlook for this week um before we get on over to our next game we've got a message from our friends over at splash rotowire is proud to partner with splash sports for the 2023 fantasy football season splash sports empowers gaming commissioners to earn by creating contests, commissioners can set up contests at their style and enjoy the evolving Splash Sports platform for customized preferences. From daily to season-long contests, Splash Sports caters to a variety of playing styles such as DFS, Pickaxe, and Traditional Survivor. And unlike traditional sports books, Splash Sports pits you against your friends and family, not the house. Splash goes beyond betting, a place where friends can connect, strategize, and share in the excitement of sports. Rotowire will be running weekly DFS tier contests on Splash Sports all season. Can you beat the Rotowire experts? Visit rotowire.com slash splash today. All right, onward. We've got the Dolphins and the Commanders. This one taking place in Washington. The Dolphins, nine and a half point favorites on the road. I'm not sure what to make of this one, but I, I'm, I'm after after last week. Obviously, the the Dolphins will be facing a much livelier offense than what they did against the Jets on on Black Friday. But I I feel like the the Dolphins are still that team that if you're average or or worse, they're going to take the take the Spurs to you pretty much. And I I don't know if Washington is going to be able to to really hold up over the course of this game. I think we could see another instance of tons of sacks and turnovers for this Washington offense, and they just get buried under an avalanche of Miami touchdowns. Well, uh, it really, really, really sucks how um, NFL owners are allowed to have these really clearly dangerous fields and how uh, 
when attention is brought to how there's all these needless injuries in the NFL as a result of these fields, which are dangerous because they are cheap compared to safer alternatives, we, we get, you know, talk about the, the hip drop tackle instead of talking about how Jalen Phillips should just be playing this week. He should, he, there, there never should have been an injury to him because of that stupid field, which never should have been on the ground. And without Jalen Phillips, the Dolphins defense loses a hell of a lot. So right. uh, that I know Chubb's not bad or anything, but it, Phillips was the real juice in that pass rush. And now I, I don't know how they're going to, you can do simulated pressures and stuff. Vic Fangio certainly, I mean, he might be the best at that kind of stuff, but uh, they're just that much more dependent on smoke and mirrors. Now, you know, it's like that was some just raw firepower that Phillips gave them. And now they, they don't have that. So uh, they're not as dangerous of a defense as they, you know, were last week. Uh, but with that said, yeah, I, I do wonder. I wonder if Fangio can be a, a pretty difficult coordinator for Howell in this enemy offense to go against, because I guess I would expect the Dolphins just kind of put too high over the, the whole time and dare uh, almost beg Washington to run the ball. And I don't think it's in Bienemy's nature, you know, most offensive coordinators nature to just say okay and then run the ball eight times in a row until the defense plays differently i think they they want to throw the ball 40 times a game as an offense that washington does so um, yeah. if you if you stick with that i think it could kind of go wrong here they, they might need to put the ball on the ground and uh get fangio to to, to loosen something up downfield because yeah I, I worry about howell dropping back thinking that one thing is going to happen after the snap finding actually after the snap that Fangio has called a different coverage and whatever way that it goes, it's like, there's going to be guys downfield with their eyes on Howell. And at that point I worry about either the sack happening because of him sort of correctly freezing at that, you know, like he's, he's, he's not supposed to just throw it into that if he sees it, but where else is he supposed to go? It's like there's, there's check downs, I guess, to the running backs, but I, I don't know if, if they can really, again, much like the sticking with the running game, I don't know if they're going to really have the discipline to just keep taking that check down over and over and over. Right. And uh, yeah, if they, if they fall behind a little bit, all of these details can kind of, you know, snowball away from them and, and get worse yet. So uh, with the Washington defense looking completely unserious, you know, Jack Del Rio, just b- such a clown. And I, I know it's not, you know, I know he's not there, but uh Ron Rivera is such a clown too. Like he's the one who stood by him all this time and has, has more or less overseen all these same things. Like Ron Rivera is supposed to be a defensive head coach. If he's, if he doesn't have his hands on that defense all this time, what is he even doing? So I think that uh, the defense stays crap because as much as Del Rio was a joke, it's because he's, he and Rivera are the same thing. And uh, Mike McDaniel versus those ridiculous dinosaurs is, is the kind of thing (laughs) that could truly get out of hand, you know? Yeah, he's going to run circles around uh, Rivera. Uh, Jalen Waddle, you know, had the big game last week. I think that, you know, things set up pretty nicely for him. It's going to be hard to not stack the Dolphins this this week in DFS. I mean, like the only thing that's slowing you down is the price prohibitive nature of using all of Tua, Waddle, and, and Hill in, in one lineup. Also, it might end up being one of those things like, um, you know, Alabama versus whatever Samford or something. And then like the second half, it's like you see, like there's four running backs who get eight carries and a hundred yards, you know, something like that. River Craycraft scoring twice in the second half. That's, that's the danger to the, to the dolphins fantasy assets on offense. 
So uh, with, with that in mind, I mean, do you like Jeff Wilson this week, given that, that Raheem Mostert and, and Devin Achan are a little bit dinged up? Yeah, I mean, him, even, even Salvin Ahmed might have been able to do wanted to see get a real shot in this offense and he hasn't really they might need to uh i apologize i think i might have frozen up there for for a second Oh, I, I probably did. Sorry, I, I or not that I have any idea how that would have happened. Um, how long was I out, John? Did, it was like ten seconds or something. Roughly ten seconds or so. But I mean, we can we can press forward. I think we've uh, gone ahead and uh, summed up our feelings. Somebody's going to run for the Dolphins. Somebody will. You heard it here first, folks. Um, but yes, I am sneaky interested in, in Jeff Wilson, pending the injury reports on uh, Mostert and Achan for this week. Uh, let's get on over to what honestly might be the best game of the early window. Broncos, Texans. We've got the Texans as three and a half point favorites. The Texans obviously coming off the, the tough loss to, to the Jaguars, but that was a phenomenal game. I thought Broncos were able to you know, take care of business against a Deshaun Watson list. Browns team, they continue to roll here. Uh, this is a big test for I think the Broncos viability and legitimacy because it, they've been getting by on a rather soft part of their schedule, but they've been playing teams, good teams close or beating them outright. I mean, the chiefs and the bills both um, over the last month or so, just how for real are the Broncos? I don't think the real exactly, but we're at the very least seeing the extent to which last year's struggles were specifically related to Nate Hackett and I know it started really bad with Sean Payton too. And I, I thought it looked like it was, it looked almost for a moment as if Payton was doing just as badly as Hackett was. Those days are gone. At least we've seen Sean Payton have his effect on the team. We're, we're seeing how, Oh yeah, they, these are not quite the clowns of last year. Like they, they've got their limitations. Sure. But th- this, this, Oh, like this overt weekly embarrassment thing is over and it's, I guess if there's one single reason why it's that Russell Wilson is efficient again, uh, the volume is always a struggle with him. He can't drop back more than 30 times without getting sketchy, but Peyton figured that out and he's Peyton's found a way to put him, put Russell Wilson back into a role more analogous to what he had in Seattle when he was at his best. And it's like, look at that, you know, 18 touchdowns to five interceptions after last year. It's like, he probably would have been at like 18 and 14 at this point. So that's that's making them tough and it uh or tough enough anyway that the Texans have to actually play well. You know, they're not gonna get handed the game. So uh, I expect the Texans to take care of business here. I think uh I don't know. The the Jaguars they they uh have been disappointing for most of the year, but they were they were doing things a little differently last week, and I think we're basically a much tougher test uh than um the the Broncos, you know. I like I think Maybe the Texans aren't quite where they need to be to win the division, but teams like the Broncos, they should be able to take care of pretty easily. Pretty easy. All right. Well, all right. So that, I mean, that's a that's an interesting enough take, and and I feel like the Texans, oddly enough, have kind of warranted that level of respect at, at, at this point, where it's like even if uh, the Broncos, led by 
you know, a, a veteran, you know, former star quarterback and, a, you know, ostensibly a good coach like Peyton. It's like, huh, I don't like that for them against D'Amico Ryans and CJ Stroud, but that's it's that's just the, the Texans can air it out. You know, the, the Broncos really need to shorten the game. The Broncos need to keep the Texans from running 60 snaps, because if the Texans run that many snaps, it means that they've moved the ball. They've moved the chains that many more times and gotten that many more points. And again, once you get Russell Wilson to like 34 pass attempts, the wheels can fall off. Yeah, I, I do think so as well. They, they've, they've won the games that they have by play, by establishing, dictating their tempo. Like yeah. they, they did that against the chiefs, did that against the bills, did that against the Vikings on that Sunday night or a couple of weeks ago, uh, last week, sort of, uh, does not have, not super applicable just because of the, the quarterback play that, that Cleveland had on their side. But yeah, that that's a really interesting detail as far as who can dictate the tempo, uh, maybe coming out on top here from a fancy angle, looking a little bit, you know, for, further afield, uh, What's the what's your temperature check on this uh, Houston backfield right now? Uh, it's, it seems like it's got to be Singletary like two thirds of the time. I don't really know, but uh, him doing a lot as a pass catcher last week was interesting. I, I can't tell if that's sort of a, a feature that might be present going forward. You know, it's, uh, it, just like Zach Moss was kind oh. of wasted in Buffalo. I think it's possible that Singletary was a little bit better then his numbers led to believe in Buffalo. So it's, it's possible that the Texans can benefit, you know, from Singletary, like the, the Coles have Moss, uh, which would be a new element, you know, relative to when Pierce was running as the starter. So that, that, that's an interesting uh, thing that could kind of change the, the whole complexion of the Texans offense. And uh, yeah, I, I expect them to sort of pursue it uh, at least until Singletary screws something up, which he certainly hasn't. No, he's he's been nails like he's been such a key part of keeping a lot of my best ball teams afloat. And that was that was like a a player, a player that I would draft just out of sheer. Oh, God, I have five seconds left and I need a running back. Yeah, this is is the guy you picked when you're when you're like, I I don't have any good running backs. Crap. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Here's a hedge. And I, I hate it so much. And he's. Uh, really, him and uh, the old Gus bus to have bailed out many of, of what would otherwise be some pretty rough looking best ball teams for me. So shout out to the motor himself, Devin Singletary, Florida Atlantic owl legend. Hoo hoo. Um, let's let's press on. Uh, so our, our official prediction before we press on, we like the Texans here. Yeah, the the more plays that get ran in this game, the, the better for the Texans. So uh, if it's like forty snaps that they log, then I'm worried about them. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, well said. So yeah, lower the play, lower the play count, up the variance, sort of the uh, the service academy uh, model in the Broncos. Um, let's go to a game that I have no idea why is being played in the afternoon window, but we've got the Panthers and the Buccaneers. Mario, the Buccaneers at home, four and a half point favorites. How about it? The Buccaneers have had uh, their struggles. Certainly there's their ups and downs that there's parts of their team that are just kind of ugly, mostly on offense, obviously. But actually, I don't even know if that's true. The defense has had some pretty ugly games, too. I guess they might have excuse of injury in the secondary. But uh, the the Buccaneers, in any case, are, are one of those teams that clearly has more talent than the team they're playing this week. But they have so much just broad dysfunction on their roster. I, I can't tell if we need to 
worry about them kind of screwing up something, especially if what if the Panthers, not that I expect this exactly, but what if they come out more motivated for the, uh, well, this isn't good for the guy the, the for the chances of this, what is his, I can't remember the name of the interim guy Tabor. Is that what it was? Yeah. I don't even know who that is. Um, oh, no. for, a second, for a second, I was like, tease Tabor. And then I was like, no, this is this other guy. He's a special teams coach. Like, oh, that's not as fun. Um, so it, it is, you know, it's possible that the Panthers have an Antonio Pierce like kind of thing. Um, sorry, you gotta give me. A... Oh, your your co uh, Mario's co host has um, or co producer uh, has taken over briefly um, as the U.S. Postal Service uh, likely uh, doing its job. Uh, so we will we will go ahead and, and press on. Okay. Uh, whatever whatever storm was upsetting her has moved past. So uh, sorry about we'll say um speaking up in the middle of that it's okay we've had plenty of uh input from uh bentley the other co-producer uh anyway i think uh the stupid buccaneers should be able to win this but if they're if they're sloppy and if they're getting like bogged down with turnovers and stuff like that they could blow it it's just it would require an incredibly low scoring game because there's nothing to be there's nothing to fix with the panthers offense you know there's there's as much as i thought reich is is a bum it's not his fault that that offense was that bad. And there's just, it's, it's the players. That's the problem. There's, there's like no good players on that offense. Like there no sort of bright spots. Adam Thielen was fun for a little while as a, as like a resurgence, like, Oh, Hey, like that's sort of like found money in the first half of the season, but that's, that's largely gone away uh, as well. So there's just their only guy. The whole defense, it's like every defense just sells out to stop Adam Thielen. How ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it works because he's the only one and he's 33 or whatever. You know, this isn't five years ago. No, it's, this is is bleak stuff. But how does this um, how does this game impact your your um, like DFS approach for, for this particular slave? Like, are you interested in, in getting a lot of Evans and Godwin? No, I think the Buccaneers have kind of screwed up Godwin a little bit by making him play outside with a quarterback who struggles to throw outside. Uh, with Mike Evans, it works fine with Mayfield because you can't miss him. You, it, it's it's difficult to miss Mike Evans. Uh, but with Godwin, it almost becomes a little bit more like the Odell Beckham thing. Like I think Baker Mayfield actually flinches a little bit when he sees a receiver start to get open. It's like he, he almost feels more comfortable knowing where the defender is and knowing that the defender is close because it's it's like, a, you know, I'm tossing it up to the big guy. Hopefully he gets it with with Godwin. I think he can feel that, like, I need to actually put the ball on a spot and that's making me anxious. And it, it's uh, or at least it's just not something he's as good at. So mm. uh, with Godwin moving out of the slot, they've made him less productive and they make themselves more dependent on Mike Evans, who even at his best, he will miss some targets. You know, he'll drop some passes. So. It's just easy. I, like I'm, my paranoid version of this game for the Buccaneers is they they end up in some needless, needlessly difficult early situations because it's like a third and fifteen. You know, it's like Mike Evans drops a wide open pass and then they false start after that, and then Baker Mayfield throws a pick six. You know, that's the way the Panthers need to win. So I don't see a whole. Uh, I guess aside aside from a Rashad White, I don't really see any fantasy utility in this game. No. Yeah, that's. Uh... Uh, Evans, I should also mention, he's 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 good and automatic at this point. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think I think you know your point is well taken on on what the the structure of this Bucks offense uh, looks like. Uh, yeah, I wish that there was a little bit more ways to to exploit this Panthers defense and in, in the the matchup generally. But it the 
the producers in this offense are so glaringly obvious that there's no real um, added analysis needed. Um, we will hit uh, one more. Get, we're going to go slightly out of order here. Let, let's uh, let's get Browns Rams out of the way before we, we talk about the main event of, of Sunday afternoon. Um, but yes, Browns Rams Rams playing a little bit better uh, of late. How much are we buying it? They are three and a half point favorites at home. Uh, I I don't know, man. I think the Rams are so confusing to me. Both yes. of these teams are. are I can't decent. figure them out. Both of these teams are a little confusing to me, but the Rams are a lot confusing to me. I just, I don't understand why anything needs to be the way it always is with them. Uh, I guess it's good to see a game like last week where uh, I know the passing game didn't do a whole lot, but to see the run game do that much, it's, it seems like something they couldn't have done a couple of years ago or maybe, you know, last year. And it's, I wonder how much of it is just because of Steve Avila who probably is one of the better guards already. Uh, I don't think even though if, if uh, even if uh, Steve Avila and this offensive line are kind of rolling in the run game, the Browns defense is so much better against the run than the Cardinals that I still worry about Kyron Williams just immediately reverting to what Kyron Williams is anytime he's not playing the Cardinals, which is mm. like a, a 3.8 yards per carry. Even for the year, even after that big game pass catching against the Cardinals, Kyron Williams's pass catching numbers are just abysmal. It's 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 a lot of bad targets, I guess, in there. To be fair, but his catch rate yards per target are are still just basement level, even after that big pass catching day against the the Cardinals. So, uh, I'm, I'm mentioning all this just to say I don't think we can assume yardage comes from the running back position here. Like the touchdowns could be there if the fields are short enough, and I expect them to be quite short given the quarterback situation for the Browns and. Uh, how much better Stafford is than whatever the Browns do from this point is a huge, you know, that that's basically in, in itself a reason to think that the Rams take care of this pretty easily, just because it's hard to be competitive in the NFL when you're dealing with the very particular kind of bad that the Browns have at quarterback at the moment. It's just, it, it it's, it's not a thing that you can possibly win a whole lot of, even against, you know, a team worse than the Rams. Forgive my grin, and you know it's. It, I think it's unlikely that that he gets called up this week. But are you interested in seeing Joe Flacco going out there? Uh, so this is for the Browns, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, why not. It'll be funnier than you know if someone else were out there. It's, it's yes. Not, I don't like. It's not that I'm not that I'm just watching in this case to see Joe Flacco suffer. I think the the. The draw, the allure of Flacco is that he won't suffer. He he will not he will not let this become his problem. You know, it's like he'll he'll throw it a lot, but he's not really taking big hits. He's but he'll show up for, you know, the the free sandwich or whatever. Hell yeah, he will. And um who among us wouldn't? Um but <laughs> now to, <laughs> but to your point, um yeah, that this this quarterback situation is very problematic for, for Cleveland. I do wonder if the defense might be uh, gnarly enough to, to where it, it trips up the Rams. I, I never get the Rams right on a, on a given week. So, uh, you know, obviously take that with, with a grain uh, of salt, but I, I kind of think Cleveland can, can go in there and, and cover a, a field goal. Uh, yeah. If, if Joe Flacco starts at quarterback and wins that game, the way, the way football and fantasy press work now, it's like, he'd be eighth highest in MVP odds by Tuesday or something. That that is how they work, and boy, would they be justified. He's good that. again. 
folks, we've turned back the clock and uh, Joe Cool is uh, letting it rip. Um, but beyond that, um, anything else to break down when it when it comes to the Rams receivers this week? And I also want to touch on one David and Joku because, you know, Tyler Higby, uh, or I'm sorry, bad example. Never mind on, on the Tyler Higby part. I should have brought that up in regards to Fryermuth earlier. Never mind. Oh, well, uh, Higby, that was a weird thing last week. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why with McVay and Higby, it always needs to be like, it's either eight weeks where he totals 200 yards or it's two games where he totals 200 yards. There's, there's never like a 50 yard game to be seen in between. It's just the, it's either he's, he's doing what he did three years ago or whatever, where he has 700 yards in six weeks, or he just, he's, he's playing 90 snaps and he's getting two targets for six yards. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't understand on what basis any of these things shift. I don't, I don't know why it, has to be those two ways and nothing in between and i don't know why it goes either of the two ways it ever does so i am not expecting higby to follow up with a another big game here i just because i i don't know it, it makes no sense to me i can't anticipate it anyway and you would think maybe more pass blocking to do than usual uh, i know that miles garrett is injured but I don't know. It, it still seems like a, a tough front seven on that defense and uh, Higby might have to block more in Joku though is interesting. Cause um, I still think it's bizarre that they're using him as like a screen pass uh, specialist, but they can't do anything else and bless them. You know, they're, they're really doing it. They're, they're, they're giving them those targets. So if Flacco, I think would work fine with that. He's that's the kind of throw he's looking to make anyway, you know, like three yards within the line of scrimmage, you know, easy for him no no heat so uh i think njoku should still get a ton of targets i just i guess i don't know if, you know what is he gonna finish the year with like six yards a target something like that yeah a l- little bit gross a little bit inefficient uh as far as that goes um let's get on to the i would argue the the main event of this whole weekend and one of the best games probably a bit of the entire season we've got a rematch of the NFC Championship game from a year ago, same place as well. Uh, the 49ers heading to the city of brotherly love to face the Eagles. Eagles three-point dogs at home. Huh. How could it be? Interesting. Well, I do think um, it, it, it's in a way it almost might help the Eagles that Dallas Goddard is out for this game just because – with Goddard out, the Eagles have just stopped playing with tight ends. The, the a little bit of Jack stole, but they're running a lot of like three, four wide kind of stuff that they didn't run quite so much with Goddard on the field. And I think it's getting that third and fourth corner on the field that's key to beating the 49ers defense in a way. The, mm. the base function of the, the the Eagles offense of you know uh Goddard and those two receivers, like those oftentimes stole being the other uh, rather than a third receiver, it's oftentimes stole. And so that was what that was the formation where it was especially uh, reliably channeled through those two receivers. And then to a lesser extent, Goddard, because just, there's literally not a fourth player running routes so much of the time. Uh, that's that's at once the way the Eagles wanted to run things. And I think is also the worst way to run things against the 49ers, because you, you want to mm-hmm. make them show their corner depth because they don't have it when you make. When you make them only cover two receivers, they get better because Fred Warner alone shuts down the middle of the field. He doesn't need help to do it. So if you run too wide, you're you're in effect risking both of those receivers getting doubled 
and then Fred Warner just erasing everything in between. But if you go three receivers, four receivers, make them go to those those corners that they've been benching and shuffling around, you know, the Isaiah Olivers, the Ambry Thomases, those guys getting on the field and making them cover A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith or I don't know anybody really. It's like that's that's how you get the 49ers uncomfortable on defense. And uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like Brian Johnson, this offensive coordinator for the Eagles, has done a lot of um, – weird things but it's it's mostly to do with personnel like i don't i don't really have play calling gripes about what the eagles are doing uh, aside from how, which players they choose to use at times so if if he were to come up with a good game plan for this game that wouldn't be terribly shocking i mean i guess i i would sooner expect he he does a good job as far as that goes than um the contrary and if you can just if you can keep the 49ers defense from playing in that mode where they're just crashing downhill at you that 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 Time, like those times where it feels like they're everybody's just in pursuit like they, it doesn't seem like they're getting blocked they're, it's just everybody's pursuing like that's the result of letting them play downhill downhill and play you know see ball get ball so you have to change it from see ball get ball to, to more like where is the ball where's where that guy going you know stuff like that to throw them off and i think the more you spread them out the more likely you are to, to shake them off of that you know crashing downward rhythm that they they otherwise are pretty good at setting i, I mean that's Fabulous analysis when it comes to the personnel and and how oddly enough, you know, the Goddard injury, which theoretically would, would hurt the Eagles. And, you know, it happened last year as well, I suppose. And, and Devontae Smith got better in that span. But how it pertains to the, the testing of this 49ers corner depth, I thought that was a fascinating point to be made. Alameda Zacchaeus. Or Julio, I guess. Uh, yeah, or Julio. Something crazy like that. Um, but beyond, beyond that, I mean, what, what do you make of the Eagles right now? Cause the results obviously point to them being among the best teams in football, but the spread says the Niners are favored on the road here. So I mean, what, where do you lean with, with that? I mean, at what, at what point do we have to just admit, even if it's ugly that, that the Eagles are probably the best team in football or are, is Vegas right in saying that it's actually the Niners? I have no idea. I really, I have no theory as to why the spread is the way that it is. I think uh, while the Eagles defense has looked worse than last year, specifically in the secondary, it has, I feel like the exact same concerns apply to the 49ers defense for all those reasons that yeah. we we're just saying. It's like they, they have worse corner depth than the Eagles and the corners, uh, the, the corner depth has largely been the problem for the Eagles this year on defense. So I see that. And then, you know, maybe I'm biased or whatever, but I don't think Brock Purdy is as good of a passer as Jalen Hurts. I think they're about equal as passers. And then Hurts is, of course, uh, a, a pretty close to singular rushing threat in addition to that, whereas I think Purdy just, like, defers that slack to the rest of the 49ers offense, and they usually pick it up in large part because of uh, Shanahan's play calling, keeping them in, in favorable situations with you know, open receivers and yards after the catch opportunities. So those things we might take for a given. And still, I think I have trouble budgeting. Or, uh, I have trouble figuring out how we bridge that gap between Hertz and Purdy uh, on their own. So maybe I'm overlooking. I, I, I think I'm not, though. I, I think you can I think you can acknowledge as a Purdy kind of critic or skeptic. Maybe I should say uh, that some he's made a lot of big throws this year. But mm -hmm. 
the way the conditions that require that are required for him to be in that position are not such a given. And I think when those conditions are denied to him, he can't make those throws anymore. And then in the, the situation where you cut off, you know, hurts from his go-to thing, it's like, he's got uh, the rushing threat to play off of. I don't, I don't think he's just, I don't think he is dependent on just getting bailed out the way that Purdy kind of is. So uh, I, I, I guess, you know, it should be a fine game for Purdy. It's just, I, I wonder if maybe Vegas or anybody in particular might be underestimating the chances that the Eagles just kind of move the ball through the air in this game, just because, you know, they've got so much firepower between AJ Brown and Devonte Smith alone. And every time where the 49ers struggled on defense this year, it was because of teams spreading them out and, and going through the air. And if you, if you just take them out of their element that way, all these things that would otherwise, you know, have a negative effect on the game, you know, the, the, the Fred Warner, the run defense of the 49ers, the pass rush, it's like those things stop taking up as much room in the game calculus when you, you undermine it with spreading them out wide and throwing. So if the Eagles try, if, for instance, if the Eagles try to just go out and, you know, establish the run and run into the teeth of the, the Fred Warner defense over and over, that would only work if the 49ers were bait, were basically like daring them to do it. You know, if the 49ers were, were selling out against the pass. That's the only time that the Eagles should try to run. But if, if they mm-hmm. don't try to force it, otherwise, I just think, I don't know, AJ Brown plus the urgency of the situation. I, I, I feel like that's a, that's a tension that the 49ers don't want tested. Has there been a, a common thread in, in your mind, in your opinion, uh, between AJ Brown's kind of cold stretch that he's been on? Uh, I mean, part of it was just kind of like the weather, I think, and the, the, the odd uh, flow of that chiefs game. And then the, the recent one, uh, the bills one, I have a little more difficulty, I guess, uh, theorizing because it, it hurts. Didn't have uh, the greatest numbers, I guess, in that one. Like he, he normally will complete well more than 58% of his passes. Uh, but Anytime you're talking pass attempt volumes this little, and, and for, for instance, like the last two weeks, 53 pass attempts for Hertz, he almost had as many in week six alone. You know, there was for, for weeks three to six, Hertz was averaging 40 pass attempts a game. So 22 pass attempts in week 11 almost in itself can explain that game being down for, for AJ Brown. And then, uh, yeah, then, then last week it's like, he, he gets five catches and a touchdown on nine targets. You know, it's like basically he had one game where Hertz didn't throw the ball half as much as he did at earlier points. And then there's a one four target sample where, where Brown fluctuated below his standard returns. And usually anytime he fluctuates below his standard returns, all that happens in the future is a correction toward that higher initial point. Sure. Okay. All right. Just wanted to, to get a little bit of clarity there. And then, I mean, you, you did touch on the, the idea that the Eagles defense might have might be uh, one that has taken a step back a bit this year. I mean, how does where do the, their weak spots get exposed against the San Francisco offense? Uh, oddly, I feel like the 49ers and their tendencies on offense kind of. Uh not play into the hands of the Eagles on defense, but kind of lets the Eagles off the hook for their own lack of corner depth. Basically with the 49ers, you're, you're getting IU Kittle Debo. And if, if there's another skill position player lined up, it's probably a fullback or another tight end and one that doesn't draw targets moreover. 
So uh, with going against the 49ers as an opposing offense, the, the error is trying to play a, a big style of football, you know, and, and run right into those two good corners. You want to get the third lesser corner on the field and go at him basically. And with, with the Eagles, you want to do the same thing, but the, the 49ers don't really have the personnel to do it, or at least I don't really see it. Uh, they're more likely to just go with that big, you know, bully style of play. And it's not going to put the Eagles in their most uncomfortable spot to have Slay on one side, Bradbury on the other, two safeties and three linebackers. Like if you, if you make them respond with that personnel, I think you're sooner making them more comfortable. And I do think that's the kind of personnel that the 49ers normally, you know, dictate with, with their, with their own personnel usage. So I, I would, if anything, if I were Shanahan, I'd want to get that third corner on the field, but I just, I guess I don't know if I'm, you know, Jawan Jennings is an interesting player, but he's not one that they really can go to in a featured way. It's like, he just, uh, he chips in. So, uh, Samuel and, and Ayuk in any case could see tougher matchups here than the Eagles, uh, wide receivers allowed numbers would indicate, you know, cause like, wide receivers are pretty much raking against the Eagles in fantasy. I just happen to think a lot of it's like volume driven in this PPR era. And also, uh, some of those breakdowns in that coverage happened specifically before Bradley Roby was there after the Avante Maddox injury, when they were playing James Bradbury in the slot a bunch of times, which didn't suit him. So if you're letting Bradbury and Slay play outside, and if you don't have a third receiver threatening them, I think that's putting the Eagles defense at their best. Basically the chat's calling you a hater, Mario. Who am I hating sp- now? <laughs> you hate the Niners. Oh yes, but I, I've I've hated every team at some point. Someone has told me at some point. So uh, it's true. It's not me You're that's disagreeing. It's everybody hater. else that's disagreeing with you guys. That's like, or my hate is more vast than you think. At least it that that's definitely true. Um, and some good insights here in the in the chat from Matt Kevin Byard playing a little bit better of late. So I mean that that, that could, could change be an issue a little. For, yeah, for Kittle. You know, so um, all I still like Kittle. I, to be clear, Ayuk Samuel Kittle, you like a lot in this game because the 49ers have reason to use them. It's as simple as that. Uh, the question of whether they have enough to beat the sum firepower of the Eagles on the other side is a different question. And so t- I'm just on the second thing. I'm not hating enough to say that you shouldn't like Kittle or the receivers because you should like them uh, for sure. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what? In the end, I think the Niners go in and win. I think they make a little bit of a statement. I think that they've been they've been rocket hot since the bye. They were rocket hot before their their um, three game losing streak. The Eagles have have obviously been impressive. They they have great wins. They're ten and one. That they they have you know what they what they call on Twitter. They, they've got the alligator blood. Like nothing seems to bother them. They cannot be playing their best game. They hang around. They find a way to win. I think this is a week where it, it maybe comes crashing down a little bit for them. I, th- I think the Niners go in there and. It's not it's not revenge because they don't get the NFC championship out of this one, but I think they, they go in there and, and get this done. Nice. Uh yeah, I mean I I have no real leaning myself. Other than ten excellent minutes of, of analysis on, on you know the personnel and advantages well, and disadvantages in this game. All of it to say it's hard for me to tell which way this goes. You know, at the very least I need like I need more information about, you know, what are what are you, uh, Brian Johnson going to try to do on offense in this game? What are you what are you, Shanahan, gonna try to do? And uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, there's a lot up to them, I think both of those coaches in particular. 
I I can't wait to watch this game. I'm yeah. very, very excited to be a good in. Um, let's get on over. Uh Chiefs Packers, Sunday night, Lambeau Field. We've got the Chiefs as six point favorites on the road. Chiefs uh, they figured out how to score in the second half last week. They, the people were bugging them in the office all week about it. It's like, hey, dude, some of your second half scoring. Uh, they figured it out a little bit. All it took was uh, playing the Raiders. Hmm? Didn't they? Wasn't it going into last week? They were down to like five point eight points per second half or something like that, which is probably the good. lowest I've ever heard it for any team, let alone the Chiefs. That's just crazy. Exactly. Um, it was. It was getting a little hairy there for a minute wild uh yeah because that's also so concerning because in other cases where Mahomes would would struggle you'd you'd rationalize it like oh but he'll figure it out over the course of the game you know he's just he's settling in yeah these receivers suck but you know he'll he'll find a way to to start pulling the strings of the defense and instead as games went along they stopped doing even the little bit that they did at the the first half uh, already a substandard mark so uh on the one hand, the Chiefs have clearly they have some real problems on offense. This is not just like, oh, we had a couple hiccups. It's, it was an off day for us. It's like, no, your your product is bad. And short of shaking up the, the the names of the players on the field, you're just you're just done. Like, you don't have anything. If if you if you don't change something with the players, you're you're not going to find any way out of this. Uh, particularly Justin Watson and Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like we've been saying all year, like they can't take as many targets on a person at basis as you want to run pass attempts as an offense and still have it mathematically come out in any way that makes sense. It's just no, that the number that you need to hit for passing yardage, you can't get to anymore. And then what happens? You, you lose. You Nothing mm-hmm. good happens from that point. You don't just shrug and it, maybe it'll work out. It won't. And what we're seeing last week is it really was all this time as simple as you give more of those targets to Rasheed Rice, and guess what? Literally, just like that, it, a lot of those problems go away. Not all of them. They, they still have things to figure out. But whereas previously, using this Justin Watson, Marquez Valdez-Scantling passing game, they were you know the worst second-half offense in the league, and I assume going back like 10 years or something. Now they at least can beat the Raiders again, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they were they were showing they were really, truly threatening us with something short of that, you know, which is incredible. It was uh, it was hard to watch. I mean, they, they they got shut down by a Denver defense twice that allowed 70 points to the to the Dolphins. You know, it's like, I mean, of course, there, there's probably some schematic and, and advantages plus Tyree kill on the on the side of the Dolphins. But come on, like. Yeah. Uh, not even close to the combined point. I mean, come on. Uh, so like you said, you know, it was, it was good to see Rasheed Rice get more involved last week and have him be the the instant offense that, that we've been looking for from that receiving core that, you know, kind of cost them the game a uh, couple of different spots. Of course, probably like three probably most weeks certainly. already. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Eagles game I thought was, was a business. The Lions Kelsey I would did. largely blame on them. Stupid Kadarius Tony handing the ball off to Brian Branch. Like that's the, oh, that's the game, yeah. even without Kelsey and Jones. Mm-hmm. So, so what does it all mean? Like, do they do they take the right lessons away from from last week against the Raiders and apply them against the Packers team that sneaky playing better of late? Yeah, I think so. Not because. I'm giving credit to Andy Reid for truly realizing it. I think it's just more that his hand has been forced. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think he really 
grasps the reason he was wrong before i think he's he's probably seeing it more as like good thing rashi came through you know we had to play him more good thing it worked out okay and it's like no man that's the whole crux of your problem right there that you you didn't put him on the field as much as you should have as early as you should have and uh the suffering between then and now was all needless but uh i think it's difficult to put something like this back away especially because they have no alternatives you know it'd be one thing if Kadarius Tony had been the player they thought he would be, it'd be one thing if Sky Moore were capable of, of playing outside receiver. Anything. It, if the Chiefs take the ball away from Rice, they're back to the situation of like either Kelsey moves it or nobody does. And not every time will Kelsey be able to do it. So uh, they're, they're seeing how bad that can get. They're seeing just how diminished that return can get. And um, it, I think it's just the de- the combination of the desperation and like the shortage of alternatives means they have to keep going to rice. The, the one thing is we will see defenses adjust to rice a little bit. If so, because it, it changes the complexion of like your game plan against this offense. I happen to think rice can play outside just as easily in the slot. And I think he can make tons of plays downfield. I don't think he's an underneath uh, yards after the catch merchant that he seems to be uh, like pigeonholed as at the moment. I, I think he can play everywhere. And uh, the sooner the chiefs get him, get their own game plan to accommodate him to that extent, you know, the, the sooner they might be a real playoff team again. Right. So but that offensive, yeah, we, we need to see more proof that they, they, they showed a little bit of something last week, but um, that they've established such a high baseline for themselves. It's like, we, we got to see a little bit more uh, consistency, but before we're ready to, to, you know, kind of have the same expectations that you've garnered over the last few years, and on the on the Packers side, I mean they, they've they've won two straight. They've won three of their last four. Um, the the one loss coming in, in a close one uh, on the road at Pittsburgh. Uh, they made a I thought a pretty loud statement in Detroit last week on on Thanksgiving. Uh, Jordan Love in particular throwing the three touchdowns uh, was you know that was very impressive stuff from him completing about seventy percent of his passes in that one, not turning the ball over. That's been a, a consistent theme in the Packers recent run of success. Uh, no turnovers or no interceptions specifically in those three wins, two picks in that one against the Steelers, Kansas city, of course, though, been playing pretty well defensively. Yeah. I think the chiefs defense is way better than Detroit's. I think Detroit's pass defense in particular was not very good at any point this year. I think, it would have been shown up more drastically if, in, you know, if the schedule had gone a little differently, but uh, those green Bay receivers are talented. And as we could see those lines corners, you know, there wasn't enough smoke and mirrors to cover them. And so those receivers got open and the lines don't have much of a pass rush at Aiden Hutchinson's gone really cold since week like three or whatever, and no one else is stepping up. So I think what we saw with the Packers against the lions was, pretty much just what Jordan love is capable of when he is playing with no pressure and his receivers are open all the time. And that's, it's good that he did as well as he did. Like, you know, he certainly could have done worse. There are a lot of quarterbacks who could have done worse, but I don't see it as that clearly positive. I I feel like it's more close to, to what he should be able to do and not really get a whole lot of praise for personally. So uh, in any case, I worry about love quite a lot going against this chief's defense. If the chief's defense doesn't kind of make things difficult on him, I think it's because they played a vanilla game plan on purpose. 
and they probably can do that and get away with it. In my opinion, like I, I just think the this this defense is so much tougher than Detroit's that I, I feel like that alone kind of removes the Packers from competing here. Okay, and then you know, as far as the the run game is concerned, you know, Aaron Jones doesn't play last week. Is there any way that the Packers can? Yeah, I guess that's the problem here is that it's all going to be on Jordan Love, right? Right. Uh, I uh, sorry, don't know the latest on Aaron Jones, but uh, while it's easier probably to run on the Chiefs than to throw on them, that's only the case when they're kind of worried about the pass first, you know? So if, mm-hmm. if you're going out there, if, if Love struggles to throw the ball, if the Chiefs figure out like, oh, he can't throw on us. In that case, I don't know if I like... Aaron Jones because there's they're you know giving him more attention but if it's not Aaron Jones AJ Dillon um I don't know I think at, at best he's kind of like a misfit for this offense uh maybe he needs to be in more of like a big whatever I formation kind of offense um I also think he probably should uh lose a little muscle mass uh but in any case I I don't trust him to take advantage of any given opportunity as much as Jones and yeah if, if Jones can't run wild I, I just don't see where the Packers get their explosiveness from like they need the defense to rough up Mahomes and give them short fields which I guess if if the Chiefs go back to uh giving you know 14 targets combined to Justin Watson and uh whatever the other guy uh Valdez Scantling uh if they do that then maybe maybe they can screw it up but if if they just kind of take the game seriously I feel like the Packers I think love is going to really struggle against this defense. Okay. All right. So that, that is deflated. some of my optimism I, I had for the Packers going into this game, your hard hitting and sober analysis has maybe reconsider uh, my thoughts on this one. I could I, be I, wrong. I mean, those receivers are good at the very, I don't mean to sound critical about them. Just, uh, just sure. love pretty much. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I suppose three good games is not enough to, to erase, you know, what had otherwise been kind of a, not so great uh, sample from him. Uh, let's wrap it up. This game not expected to be much of a game. Could have been a phenomenal game. Of course, I'm talking about the Jaguars and the Bengals. No Joe Burrow. As a result, the the line movement has ballooned in favor of the Jaguars. Jags now a nine point favorite, drawing 75 percent of the money on those bets. Uh, what did what what do you see from Jake Browning last week, and you know what are what are sort of like the the concrete ripple effects from Burrow's absence? Um, I don't know. He's he's a uh, he's not the best backup quarterback I've ever seen. Uh, mm. They could do better. I don't know. They they have uh, some amount of pride still, I guess. Like they they didn't come out and look completely disinterested or something, but. I don't know. I think uh, the spread's probably right on this one. You know, it's, there's, that Jaguars defense, it might be one of the three best in the league, something like that. It's almost certainly one of the five or six best in the league. And that's just, uh, that's like a category of difficulty uh, for a quarterback like this. It's it just, uh, even if the Jags are going totally vanilla on the game plan, even if they're like, let's not let's not show our tricks here let's just get the w go to next week that still is a style of defense let's call let's call it like a prevent kind of you know vanilla defense even that i don't know if browning can really do a whole lot with so 
the the run game probably taken away both because it's generally sluggish for the Bengals and because the, the Jaguars effortlessly shut down the run. Browning in like third and nine, you know, Browning in third and 12, that sounds like it could get pretty bad. Uh, but uh, the Jag side, I mean, I will have to lift the fatwa on press Taylor. If he keeps <laughs> running the offense, like the last two weeks, which, which is basically to say they're actually motioning Calvin Ridley and trying to engineer targets for him. No, it's, it's get- say Jones, Mario. It's, it's all say <laughs> Jones. It's Zay Jones. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's just so funny to like, wow, if you try to run a modern offense and try to do a, any of the things that any of the other offenses do to get their best players the ball, you try to do it with Ridley and his numbers get better. And then Trevor Lawrence's numbers get better. And you're like, what the hell? How did that happen? And you, you might, you know, after long meditation, if you're if you're Press Taylor, if you, if you if you think about it for a really long time, you probably, probably got to do a montage to cover the amount of time that he's taking reflecting on this you can realize like oh right my best players should get the ball because they're better than the players who are worse than them and then defenses don't want my best players to get the ball so i should i should get them the ball all that much more therefore and uh so you're operating the first the first 10 weeks they operated on the exact opposite principle they're like ah you you challenge me by taking away my best player i'll show you i i was in a zen like calm fashion divert the target to jamal agnew they they've switched it up john i'll give them credit they've abandoned that plan and they've gone toward like let's get ridley the ball and you get ridley going everything else gets going because everything else gets loosened up from the defense you know evan ingram all of a sudden has a step more on his routes everybody's getting open more lawrence finally produces the way he should have all along um and yeah lawrence he should have been on that five thousand yard 40 touchdown pace all along like this this shouldn't have been such a challenging season I know. And uh, he's also running, I think, what, three touchdowns over the last two games? He's already about at last year's 17 game rushing total. And uh, yeah, I can't tell how much of that is him going like, no one's open, you know, screw it. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm interested to see if they can get the yardage numbers more like the last two weeks and keep Lawrence on like a 400, 500 yard uh, rushing course, because that that level of volume would make them a very dangerous team. Yes, uh, he can run. I can still see him running that touchdown against Ohio State all those years ago. Um, yeah, he's an athlete uh, in addition to being an insanely talented quarterback. So, yeah, I think this sets up extremely well for him, the rest of that offense. And and uh, I guess closing out my point on the uh, on the Bengals, yeah, I, th- I thought that looking at last week's game, a bit of a – a glimpse of what you can expect for fantasy purposes going forward. I think Jamar Chase is still someone that you can start. Joe Mixon, it's going to be matchup dependent. And I think in this matchup, if you have better options or better matchups, like I would not play Joe Mixon against the, this defense this week. And I think, you know, your, your more tertiary options like your T Higgins, your, um, your Tyler Boyd's, they, they pretty much hit the bench for the rest of the season. I think. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's matchup dependent, even for Mixon. Like you see some analysis saying, oh, well, he gets a bigger share of the offense now. This is this is actually OK. Like, Well, it's not going to be OK when they get three first downs in a game. Yeah, he had two yards per carry last week, like it, uh, it, a big share of, of like 30 plays on offense, like big whoop. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the way it might go again here. I, I think so, too. So 
uh, we, we unfortunately will be treated to another kind of not so great Monday night football matchup, but hey, it is football at the end of the day. That's going to wrap it up for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for week 13. Really appreciate everyone chiming in in the comments section with, with your questions and uh, uh, hater accusations. We appreciate all of them. Um, and thanks again to our sponsors over at Circa, over at Splash, and over at Blue Wire. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. And go dogs. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. I'm at the nail salon. I'm at the grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store.